You know, it was about a few weeks ago, someone asked me, what have I learned as being an intern here that will be helpful when I go into ministry someday? For me, being an intern has been very helpful because I get to learn outside the classroom and learn things that I generally would not learn by being in a class. And I found myself taking a moment and thinking about it, and I came up with three lessons that I learned as an intern about ministry while being here. Now, Dan, you, wanna, you should take notes about this. <laughs> the first lesson I learned is you earn the trust of a congregation when they trust you to use their dishwasher during church events. <laughs> I was very surprised when I began my internship here when I was taught in how to use the dishwasher and trusted to run it during different church events. The reason this surprised me is because where I come from, the dishwashing job in a church is only reserved for the eldest of the elders. And I'm not sure if this is because it takes years of experience on session to learn how to run all the knobs and gauges, or that maybe perhaps it's the easiest job when volunteering at a church, and seniority it's given to the person who's been there the longest. But nevertheless, when I was taught how to run your dishwasher in Duncan Hall, I realized how much of a trusting and open community you are. <laughs> or maybe I was just tricked in being told that I was the only person who could wash dishes and I would need to do so. The second lesson I learned was from Joanne personally, and that is a hot iron and paper towels can take wax out of anything even the chancel carpet. <laughs> uh, this is something I learned after I spilled hot candle wax all over the front of the chancel during a wholeness and healing service a few months ago. <laughs> and while I found myself nervous and very apologetic, I was very blessed for a calm pastor who knew exactly what to do and where that hot iron was located on a moment's notice. But the third and final lesson I've learned while being an intern uh, came with working with the children, and it came when I was uh, doing a children's sermon about a few months ago. And I was talking with the children about different ways to praise God, and I made the mistake of encouraging them to do so by giving them lots of candy, noisemakers, and balloons which could easily be popped. And later did I realize that while I only had to deal with the children for a few moments during the children's sermon, there were Sunday school teachers who had to deal with them for an hour after me. <laughs> and there were many parents here who had to deal with them for the rest of the day. <laughs> so at this time, I would like to offer my sincere apologies <laughs> to all of you parents for that little incident a few months ago. While being trusted to run dishwashers and being blessed with a calm pastor who knows how to remove spilled candle wax and having forgiving parents who dealt with noisemakers and sugar-filled children, I have come to the conclusion that it's been a very much a blessing to have served this wonderful congregation for the past year, and it's also a blessing that you have learned, allowed me to learn on the job. This morning, our service is all about thankfulness, and it's all about praise, and praising God for all the 
wonderful things in our lives. And in continuation with our summer sermon series, which ends today, we're looking at the doxology, which is a tradition in many worship services consisting of many different hymns and psalms, which most of them are sung through singing that praises God. For most Protestants, the hymn titled, Praise God for Whom All Blessings Flow, is a song that most of us know by heart. It's something that is familiar to us as the Lord's Prayer or Jesus Loves Me. Not only do we sing it every day or every Sunday, and not normally do we just sing it after the offering, but it also happens to be our doxology. It's part of our tradition. Now, here at First Presbyterian, we sing this hymn to the tune of the Old 100th, but it also can be sung to other tunes. One of those we're going to learn after the offertory today. However, no matter what, to what tune this hymn is sung, the origins of this hymn are a little lesser known, and that's because the song has lyrics taken from the hymn Awake, My Soul, and the Sun, which was written by an Anglican bishop in the 17th century by the name of Thomas Ken. Now, while Thomas Ken spent his life in ministry writing hymns, he also spent his life working as a chaplain to royal families in England. In fact, it was Thomas Ken who not only was the chaplain to King Charles II, but he was also the chaplain to King James II. Now, King James and Thomas Ken had a little bit of a difficult relationship. King James II was more pro-Catholic, and he sought to open up more religious freedoms in his country by putting forth a declaration called the Declaration of Indulgence, which basically allowed for people who are not Anglican to hold, uh, hold government offices. Uh, Thomas Ken, he opposed this, uh, and for doing so, he was arrested after he and five other bishops signed an opposition toward King James' uh, declaration. However, despite this, Thomas Ken remained devoted to his king, and despite their differentiating viewpoints, when King James was overthrown during the Glorious Revolution of 1688, Thomas Ken refused to swear allegiance to the new king, William of Orange, and was forcibly removed from the church, where he spent the next 20 years of his life in retirement. This is when he wrote many of his hymns. I was thinking that if Thomas Ken was alive today, he would probably find some joy in knowing that despite there only being one crumbling 200-year-old biography about him in the local seminary library, the final lyrics to his song, Awake, My Soul, The Sun, are now a doxology, which are sung in many Protestant traditions. However, while we are able to find out about his life and how the doxology came about, what the question that we cannot seem to find is, why did he write this song of praise? Now, granted, Ken had many things he was probably thankful for about, especially escaping being imprisoned, but there was had to be many things he also saw that made it difficult for him to praise God. Did Ken see the strife, the oppression, the hunger, the despair of those living under a monarch rule? Was Ken aware of the suffering he and many other people felt? And if he did, why was he still praising God? 
Our scripture this morning is Psalm 149 and Psalm 100. Both are scriptures of praise and thanksgiving to God. And what is unique about these two psalms is while their authorship and origins can be debated and they are written in a way that is sometimes a little different to other psalms, they are both thanksgivings and praises to God. Not only were they written to be read, but they're also praises to God written to be sung and in some cases even shouted. Many people who look at Psalm 93 and Psalm 99 as a set see Psalm 100 as this grand finale of praise hymns, which the Israelites would shout with joy as they would enter the temple. But whether these psalms are written to be read, or they're written to be sung, or even shouted, why did the Israelites praise God? After all, the Israelites experienced depression. They dealt with violence and despair and heartache. How were they able to look over these difficulties, not just as a people, but individually, and continually seek to praise God. While being thankful to God and singing praises to God for all the blessings in our lives are things we know we should do and are things we are called to do, all of us know the difficulty it is to be thankful for the blessings in our lives when we are overwhelmed by difficulties, we are overwhelmed by strife and struggles, which sometimes overpower our ability to see the many praises in our lives. These things all of us know too well. They range from struggling with health issues to dealing with addictions and having conflicts in our families, hurting from emotional pain or missing loved ones or even worrying about the future. These are pains in which are in our personal lives that no matter who we are, we deal with day to day. And not only do they sometimes hold us back from God, but they sometimes make it extremely difficult to praise God. Elie Wiesel, an author and Holocaust survivor, was a young man when he and his family were placed in Auschwitz, a concentration camp in Germany. In many of his books and writings about his experience, what he and millions of other Jewish people endured, he talked about the feeling of the absence of God during those dark and difficult days. At first, he said that he and many other Jewish people when they were placed in the ghettos and the internment camps, they believed that God was with them and that God would not allow anything to happen to them, somehow saving them at the last minute. Then, shortly after the concentration camps were formed, he and many others felt as if they, the Jewish people, were being punished for some unknown sin, while others felt God was testing them. And as the days went on and he and others saw his people being enslaved, tortured, and killed, he and many others began to wonder where God was during their struggle. He writes, For the first time I felt revolt rise up in me. Why should I bless God's name? The eternal Lord of the universe, the all-powerful, was silent. What had I to thank God for? Despite our constant reminders that we should be praising God, let's be honest, it's something that is very hard to do, not because we aren't unthankful for the many blessings in our lives, but because the many things that are difficult in our lives sometimes get in the way. It is things like this that make us wonder if God is really out there 
And if so, why are these things happening to me? You know, it was about two years ago, I went back home to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to see my grandfather while I was on fall break. For me, growing up, my grandfather was one of the most influential people in my life. He was this very tall Irishman who spent his life as a truck driver, and he loved his job, and he loved his children, especially us as his grandchildren. My uh, grandfather always looked on the bright side of life. He was one of those people you see who's just always filled with positive energy and, and with hope. But as I got older, my grandfather, who was just this positive, energetic person, seemed to go from being filled with so much energy and, and, and positive to dealing with much anger and pain in his life. A lot of this dealt with the health problems that he faced uh, growing older. A lot of it dealt with losing my grandmother and his eldest daughter, which was my mother. And a lot of it dealt with him aging. However, I remember visiting him on this beautiful fall day uh, a few years ago, right before he died. And it was different because on this particular day, he was filled with that positive energy I remember he had as a kid. And on this particular day, he surprised me because he opened up about many things in his life and many reflections on his life. And this was a particular surprise to me because my grandfather not only not really shared some of the deep things about his life, something that many people from his generation don't tend to do as much. However, I remember on this particular day him doing laundry, and I was talking to him in his basement. And... I remember him saying to me that despite all the things he had been through in his life, growing up as an orphan in the, through the Depression and fighting in World War II and trying to raise children on a fixed income, to even dealing with losing loved ones and growing old, he had a wonderful life, a life that he said he was really thankful for, for all the things that God had brought him th- through. And I remember him saying to me, I don't think we're alone. He said, despite all what I have been through and experienced, I believe there is someone looking after me, looking after us, and that someday we will find true freedom from all the pains in our lives, and we will find this complete happiness, something that we have never experienced before. Now, while I have heard things like this from different pastors and theologians and writers Coming from my grandfather, this simple blue-collared truck driver meant something a little bit more deeper to me. One of the questions we often ask is, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there pain in the world? Why is there so much violence and issues in the world which make it difficult to praise God? Why should we even praise God? And while many will say these difficulties are the result of the fall of man or the presence of sin and temptation in our world or even evil temptations that exist, I think the answer to this question is this. We don't have an answer, at least not right now. Yet, while we don't have an answer, we can't answer this. That, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as faith that there's no such thing as hope. 
And this is a type of faith, a faith that says not only will all our questions be answered someday, but it's a type of faith that says that beyond the suffering we experience in our lives, despite all the violence, the sickness, and the despair, there truly is a God out there, somewhere, who not only loves us unconditionally, but sees what we're going through, experiences it with us, and reminds us that what we're going through is only temporary. In a sense, our faith through Jesus Christ is a promise made to us that not only there will be an end to suffering someday, but there will be a beginning, a new start of something so great, so fulfilling that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Theologian Daniel Millorier calls this as a well-founded hope, hope that our God will give expressions to the truth that God purposely plans to liberate and reconcile all of creation. My friends, each and every one of us has seen pain in our world. We have seen pain in our lives that is personal to us, that others sometimes cannot even comprehend or understand. A pain that sometimes is so, so intense that leads us to wonder if God is really out there and why do these things happen to us? And while it's only natural to wonder where God is or why these things happen, we must have hope. We must have faith that beyond these plains of darkness is a horizon, a horizon filled with love, a horizon filled with compassion, an everlasting presence that is promised to us by a God that loves us so much. It's a promise, and it's why we praise God, a promise that has been made to us through Jesus Christ, that there's not only a God who loves us and forgives us, but also shares our pain and promises us that the suffering that we're going through will someday end, a promise that says our tears will be wiped away, a promise that says love will overpower hate, and through the dark cracks of oppression and suffering, God's merciful love will shine through. For it's this promise, the promise of what we are received, is why we praise God. A promise that says, in the words of Maya Angelou, with hope, good morning. May it be so for you and also for me. Amen.